0: This is the Bill Kelly Show
1: podcast. The debate last night, uh, the first of three leadership debates for the Ontario election were held in Toronto at City TV, as they kept reminding us last night. It's a City TV presentation, be that as it might. Uh, It was uh, interesting in some contexts, rather boring in others, and I'm not so sure if anybody moved the yardsticks ahead last night. Uh, we are going to give you an opportunity to weigh in on this uh, in just a few minutes. We're going to open the lines up and ask you who won the debate, in your opinion, uh, from what you saw. Uh, but uh, we want to bring a, our good friend Richard Brennan into the conversation, retired journalist for the Toronto Star, covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill, and has seen probably many, many <laughs> more of these leadership debates than he cares to remember at this point. Richard, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us today. Hey, Bill. Uh, your thoughts on what you saw last night. We'll do an overview, and then we'll kind of peel off a few layers and talk about the individual performances.
2: Well,
3: I hate to be entirely cynical on this, but...
1: It well, that's okay. I was going to be.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, but, it, you know, right away I tweeted out, it, it, it really dissolved into a bit of a gong show pretty quickly with people talking over each other and, you know, and, and nobody really nobody really hit, hitting the points too many times. I found that... Uh, Ford. I found Ford very wooden, and he's desperately trying to keep his temper under control. It's so obvious, and, and not say anything untoward. Albeit when he, he made that uh, kind of you know condescending comment or patronizing. I guess he would be better word yeah. about you know a nice smile. And uh, well, you don't know about numbers. Like how could you know about numbers? You're a woman. But I, that he really a lot of people took exception to that. But Nevertheless, and, and I don't think that uh, and the premier, Kathleen Wynne, desperately tried to marginalize Andrea Horvath by turning her back to her. And so she was taking, taking uh, Doug Ford on directly. And, and quite frankly, I think uh, Andrea acquitted herself pretty well uh, she kind of offered herself up as a Switzerland, if you will. Well, these, you know, do you want do you want these warring, you know, parties or do you want me kind of thing? So it was kind of, she did not a bad job, but I just don't. Th- I think a lot of people, or viewers, it was a poor time slot, quite frankly, at six o'clock. Like I don't know how many people would even have the opportunity to watch it.
1: Between, besides you and me, you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, but she'll listen. These, the, the, people have to keep something in mind because I've heard a lot of criticism on social media, seen a lot of criticism on social media about, well, the media this and the media that. It was the television networks that set this whole thing up. It's not the print media. It's not the radio media. Uh, it's not the radio and print media that de- decided that Mike Schreiner from the Green Party couldn't be allowed. It was the television networks. And they're the same ones that said, "What's well, going to be on at 6 o'clock because, for God's sakes, we don't want to preempt Dancing with the Stars for this. So, you know, we've got to make our money.
3: Well, that's it. It was a, it was an unfortunate thing, I, and I thought, I really believe uh, it would have been much better to have Mike Schroeder on. I know Mike or the Green Party does not hold a seat in the Ontario Legislature, but on the other hand, he his party puts a candidate in every riding, and they get a subsidy because of the number of votes they draw. I think it's high time that they be allowed a voice on these debates and particularly they offer a different point of view and and environment wasn't you know it was casually addressed with the green belt i guess but that was about all and he would bring a different voice to it
1: yeah but you know there's another point to that and i know you know mike schreiner and i and i've had mike on the show a number of times uh the green party first of all is not a fringe party as you mentioned, they have candidates in every riding. They are not a one-trick pony. They're not just about the environment. They have a very legitimate policies and opinions on just about everything else. And I, I think it was a huge gaffe not to include him last night.
3: I really, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And they have to get over this, you know, the the television stations have to get over this idea that just the traditional party should be allowed to participate. Well, you know, it's not that way anymore. They certainly deserve a, a seat at the table. And so I, I'd be—I'll be very interested to see what your listen to what your viewers have to say about this debate. But I just found that there was a lot of squabbling, and and no real points being made. And I know it's the first one, so I, you know I'm not going to be too hard on any of them because it is the first one. And you, you could tell that they're all all a bit nervous. But I think the—I really believe the uh, premier. Miss some points by not listing you know the things they've done that's her only that's her only ammunition you know all she has to do is say look at has our, our government made some you know missteps absolutely i don't know government didn't but you know but nevertheless here's what we've done
1: but i didn't hear that last no, night no. and i think your point's well taken here uh, I thought she spent way too much time playing defense, uh, you know, on her heels, basically, uh, trying to almost send a message that no, everything's okay here. You know, we've got a great economy, things are going, and and statistically, she's making some valid points. But on the same time, I, you know, I, I you're right, everybody loves somebody who's going to sit there and say, you know what, we've screwed up a lot, but you know, we're still we're in pretty good shape and we can get better. We've you know, etc. But she didn't take that tack. She t- seemed to take the tack that no, we've we've done the right things here. And and there's an awful lot of people out there, either rightly or wrongly, Richard. They're just going to disagree with her on that, and she's lost them.
3: Well, she has. To, she has to make amends to a certain a certain extent. She has to tell people that she realizes their governments have made mistakes, but on the whole, if you weigh, and I'm not taking sides here. I'm just saying this is what, on the whole, we're better off. And she made some points last night, you know, about when when when. Uh, You know, he's, I guess it was, it was Ford who said something about, you know, it has the most expenses, you know, there's the least efficient government in the country. Well, it isn't. You know, you might not agree with the spending and 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 the mistakes they've made, but it's not, it's not, it's probably the most efficient province, if there is such a thing when you're talking about government. In the country, and something he just didn't know. He obviously didn't know that, and he he wasn't prepared to deal with it. I think he sloughed it off. he uh, he didn't seem to be clicking, and I'm sure he will as things proceed, but you could tell there was a bit of a gap between what was you know happening on the uh, on the uh, this show last night and him actually understanding what they were talking about.
1: I, I got that sense. There were two times, and for people that didn't see the debate, there were questions asked of the candidates, and then each candidate was allowed to ask one question of, of uh, another candidate they were choosing. Then they had what they called three-minute free-for-alls. And there were two of those free-for-alls, as you know, Richard, where Ford didn't say anything. He just, he just. I mean, you know, Horvath and, and Wynn seemed to go at each other and involved in, in, in some, you know, pretty serious debate. Ford just had this quizzical look on his face and didn't until the moderator finally stepped in. All right, we want to let Mr. Ford. It's, it's almost like the, the, the parent coming in and now let Doug play, please. Uh, well, you know his, what? If you his, want to be premier, you gotta, you got to move yourself in there. And Ford just, and, and I got the sense he had no idea what to say. That's why he didn't say anything.
3: And his wrap-up was just... You know, well, it was like, all—it
1: was all talking points it again. Was,
3: it was—it was bumper sticker. Yeah, it was all bumper sticker, right from I, the beginning little
1: guy, the little guy, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, the little guy owns a you know a cottage in
3: Muskoka or wherever it is, you know, and uh, you know, and is a, is a millionaire. This, you know, I don't know how much longer he's going to, you know, how much longer people are going to buy this stuff. But and then you get Andrea at the side, and she's you know, she's I, I agree with her tax. She's going to. Like, she's going to be the Switzerland, as they say, and let the other guys fight it out. But the point is, she's she's asking Ford to give her examples of what they're going to cut. Well, I want examples, and I'm sure all your listeners want examples, of where they're going to find the money.
1: Yeah, exactly. You I mean, she sounded positive. She sounded very positive, but she was pretty short on, on details about where the money's going to come from. She are going to take hydro back. Really? How are you going to buy that back? How are you going to do that? How much is that going to cost? She just just as Doug said, you know, afford, you know I'm going to get rid of the, uh, the $6 million man. How much is that going to cost us, and, and how is that going to reduce our hydro rates? Well, there, you
3: know what it's going to cost us? $10 million. Yeah. That's what it's going to cost, us to get rid of
1: him. You know, there's another element, too, and I know that you know I, you and I are marking style points here, too, as well as we are about, you know, details about stuff. Uh, and, and I agree with you. I thought Ford sounded wouldn't. He just, and I, I'm sorry. I know his, his supporters are going to, but I'm going to lay this on the line. He, he looked like he was not ready for prime time. Uh, and, 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 and the assertion he made near the end of the debate when he said, look, at, I'm the only one here who has actually been part of a government that, uh, excuse me, He's standing right beside somebody who's been in office for well th- two terms, as well as a couple of terms as a cabinet minister, uh, and, and for him to have the audacity to say that he's got more political experience in running a, 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 an administration than she does.
3: Well, and in this business where he says him and his brother saved a billion dollars when on in city the Toronto, that is complete malarkey. Uh, you yeah, I, I mean, it just it's it, Trumpism where you know you just pull stuff right out of the air and say it. Like I think Yeah, because because, because but his his sinister. core supporters
1: are going to eat that up. They oh, don't care if it's true or not. Oh,
3: I know, I know. I'm not I'm not saying he's he's it's not. But sooner or later, you know, people are going to start to drill down as as the, as the campaign goes on, people are going to start to drill down on what he's saying. He said that he's been to every place in Ontario. Well, you know that's not true. Yeah, I know. And it's just the little things. I know he's, but he will improve. I'm, I'm not. I'm sure he will. But he reminds. Well, me, they've
1: all got three smart. They've all got smart people behind them.
3: Oh, absolutely. But you know, he reminds me of Bill. He reminds me of Mike Harris in the 1990 campaign. You know, they before he won in '95. He was wooden. He he didn't he didn't present well at all. But in 1995, it was a different Mike Harris altogether. Yeah. But that's what he reminds me of at this point. But he's he just I mean, and you may be right. He's so convinced that he's going to win that he he just will put you know uh, his talking points forward. And hoping that carries the day, you know, he he's acting like a he's acting like the front runner. That's what he's doing right now. He's trying to rag the puck and say, look at I'm the little guy and I'm here to protect you and and keep saying that over and over again.
1: I, I'm hoping, as you are, that you know the second debate that they're all uh, on their game a lot more. I mean, the, the premier missed a couple of chances too. I mean, we've always talked about the fact that she's a, a great debater and she's got that reputation, but she missed a classic opportunity last night. Uh, when Ford asked her in that pointed question, when did you lose your way? uh, He went through a long thing and then said, when did you lose your way? And all she did was gave a pat answer about policy. The first thing she should have said is, I haven't lost my way. That was one of those moments where she could have turned the whole thing around, and she missed it. She blew it all together.
3: Well, you and I are going to disagree on that, um, because I don't think you repeat the negative. And I would have said, you know... You know, something that if I, we've got a vision, and and this is what our vision is for the province. You know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't have bitten on that either, uh, really, be, because if you repeat the negative, then you're giving credit to him.
1: I just I just think, like you say, they they both had opportunities to do something, and and, and on balance, I, I don't know that there was a winner. But I thought I thought Andre Horvath probably exceeded expectations. Uh, For I mean, you know that one of the things that really bothered me last night was, is the post-debate uh, scrum, and of course uh, they, the uh, pundits here, there, and everywhere, and, and the consensus among some of the small C conservative pundits seemed to be: Well, Ford won the debate because he didn't lose his temper. Are, are we at this point, Richard, where we've set the leadership <laughs> bar that low well, that, that you won because you didn't blow up at somebody?
3: Well, it didn't it remind you a bit of two two neighbors bickering over the back fence about <laughs> the property line? I mean, it was just. It was. I mean, is that is that well? Like I said right off the top, he was able to keep his temper in check. But is is that what we're looking for? Is is that the be all and end all? I I doubt it. I think there's got to be more to it than that. I, uh, I think you saw my tweet yesterday, boy. I you know, uh, I I kind of miss not being there. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, I can. uh, I would have done. I made a pretty good effort at getting under his skin. And, and and making him account for what he's saying—that's the problem. And with no bus, with no with, you know, with no media bus, you won't be able to follow. And they're saying that's great. You know, we're not pandering to your reporters, blah blah. Okay, but now you're going to have to all the time. You're going to have to you know keep following him. And I'm not so sure. You wait and see. I bet you they don't put out his. Do They do it at the last minute, so reporters won't know where he is.
1: Well, I noticed that again in the post-debate scrum. Uh, they all gave about six or seven minutes. Actually, Ford seemed to be shorter than the other two, but... Uh, not one of the not one of the reporters that were in the room even asked him why didn't you give us any details about this? It it, it just it just seems as if he's going to get a pass on this, and which I guess is to his benefit as far as he's concerned. But there's an awful lot of people out there that say, well, wait, you know, you might have, you know, because I know some people criticize both Horvath and Wynn for berating him saying where the cuts going to come from but it's a legitimate question. We've been through this before Richard with with the common sense revolution. And and Andrea made I thought a very legitimate point. At least Mr. Hudak and Mr. Harris were upfront about what they were going to do. You may not have liked it, but they were upfront about it. You and he doesn't seem to want to do that.
3: Well, they you know they spelled it out. I mean, you know, much to uh you know, much to Tim Hudak's chagrin probably, he spelled out that he was going to get rid of 100,000 jobs at, at you know, during the campaign, mind you. But the point is they all had a they all had a platform and they and they more or less stuck to it. We don't know what his platform is other than he's going to cut six billion dollars and he said, "I had to laugh when he said, Well, when I talk to people and they say, uh, we only have to cut four cents out of every dollar, and they say, Is that all? Well, you know what? how are you gonna do it? That's what people want to know. How are you going to cut six billion dollars that's a... Uh,
1: Heck of a lot of money. Yeah, but that's an old political trick. I know we got to get out of here. We're just about yeah. out of time. That old political trick is is you, you dumb it down to the lowest common denominator. Only four cents of every dollar. Sure should do that. Times how many dollars in the Ontario budget? It's it's about six and a half billion dollars. Yeah, that's a lot of cuts.
3: Well, you know, it's boy, if he can do it, God bless him. But uh, you know, I, I think uh, other people have tried and haven't been that successful. And I've heard it many, many times in my career is how efficiencies and uh... you know what and it never comes to fruition never
1: richard brennan uh, retired journalist uh, who wishes he was back in the game it's never too late okay, <laughs> okay thanks, <Bill. laughs> we'll talk again soon Bye. you're listening to the bill kelly show weekdays from nine to noon
0: on a.m. nine hundred chml
1: who won the debate last night simple question yeah tell us who you thought won and why if you watched it, I'm not even sure what the numbers were like in that last night. I mean, 6 o'clock's a terrible time to do something as important as this is to the future of the province of Ontario. But again, as I said in the last segment, uh, the TV networks uh, are the ones that they call the shots here. It's, it's not the media, that all-encompassing phrase. Uh, it was not just city TV, it was this consortium they call it, of all the networks that simply said, first of all, we don't want the Green Party there, and second of all, we're going to put this on at 6 o'clock at night. And I mean, at the, easy, the easy answer for this is because they don't want to lose any revenue from prime time. They want you to be watching Dancing with the Stars and watching whatever else is on on Tuesday evening instead of politics. So they say, okay, you can have the 6 o'clock to 7.30 slot because prime time basically starts at about 8 o'clock in the evening. So that, that that's the, the short answer as to why it was on then, unfortunately. Uh, your thoughts, 645 321 905 If you're on a cell phone, star 9900 is a toll-free number. You can reach us on email, bkelly at 900chml.com, and on Twitter, at chmlbillkelly. Uh, Casey on Twitter says, uh, I thought Andrew Horvath was the only one that of the so-called debate last night that sounded anything like credible, even when, looked beaten down by it all. Uh, it was an interesting dynamic, and and all of them obviously came in there Uh, with uh, uh, some pre-decided, I guess, uh, uh, talking points and points that they wanted to hear across. Uh, And Doug Ford was pretty consistent in the message he was trying to get across. You know me, I'm for the little guy. I will make sure, I will make sure my priorities are reducing the wait times in hospitals, straightening out the hydro mess, creating good paying jobs, and putting money back into your pocket. And variations on that theme through most of the debates. Nine zero five six four five thirty two twenty one. 645 3221 start 9900. We'll hear from the other candidates uh, in some of the clips from last night uh, in just a few minutes. Elaine, I want you to start off the phone conversation. How are you this morning?
2: I'm okay, Bill. How are you? Good.
1: Did you watch last night?
2: Yes, I did.
1: And what did you think?
2: I think none of them were a clear winner. Horvath, I think, came out a little ahead because of her, I don't know, her experience. She seemed to be more in control. Rob Ford was the one that really bugged the daylights out of me. He seemed to be like a robot there last night. And also, all he could talk about was Toronto. Is he running for mayor of Toronto or premier of the whole province? Well, so it's interesting.
1: Just on, I'll, I'll, it up for you for a second. I'll let you get back to your other points in a second. Part of the problem you and I would have then as, is that it was on CP24, and you're absolutely right. Even if you listen, they were Toronto-centric. I mean, there were some questions about transit, but it was really about the Toronto transit system and about subways. Uh, so you're right. I felt the same as you did. I felt a little alienated in some of the questions because I figured, well, what about the rest of us in, in Ontario?
2: Yeah, Andrea was the only, I think she was the only one that mentioned even Niagara or the north. But uh, Ford didn't do anything. And he just seemed to be staring into space as though he had been programmed almost and he just didn't seem to want to engage uh, Horvath or Wynn. And I, I don't know, I'm not leaning towards any particular party now, but I am leaning towards Horvath. She seemed more in control and more knowledgeable, as though she had done some homework. Wynn was just defending herself all night, and Ford, as far as I'm concerned, did nothing except I'm for the little guy.
1: Well, as uh, Richard Brennan said, I guess when you're out ahead by as big a lead as he seems to have at this stage, maybe he figures he just has to, well, to use the hockey part and just rag the puck.
2: That's what I can't understand. Why is he so far ahead? Why?
1: Well, there's a long explanation for that. Elaine, I thank you for starting off the conversation. We'll uh, let you go and free up another line for somebody else at 905-645-3221. Start nine nine hundred. Uh, the short answer to your question: Why are, are the conservatives, the progressive conservatives, so far ahead? It's it's obviously there's discontent with the sitting government. That's what it really comes down to. And and I maintain that uh, that that lead uh, probably would have been the same no matter who they picked as leader. If Christine Elliott was there, I think they'd still have a significant lead. Uh, I don't know about Caroline Mulroney, but I mean, the, I, I think this is just uh, a backlash against sitting governments. And this happens when you've been in power for 14 or 15 years like this government has. And people just get tired of it, and they get tired of the stories, and they get tired of the stories about overspending and some of the policy decisions. And, and as a result, they're just looking for change. And we know that. And I think that's, that's the undercurrent of this whole election. There is a mood for change. But what kind of change and what that change is going to look like still have to be determined, which is why I think there are some legitimate questions to, uh, to, to, to Doug Ford about how he's going to do this, about how he's going to find efficiencies. And, and I'm sorry, but I told you this right from the get-go. Efficiencies is a euphemism for cuts. When you're going to find cuts, you're going to say $0.04 cents out of every dollar. That sounds like, well, that's not much at all. Gee, that's not really going to hurt us at all. You know how many dollars are in the Ontario economy? It comes up to about $6 billion in, in cuts. And you can't do that. I'm sorry. You can't do that. I don't care who you are without having an impact on some kind of services or people within those departments. Because there are basically three ways that the governments can save money. They can cut programs, they can cut staff, or they can sell off assets. And we've seen past governments do all of those. So if you're looking for savings, you got to ask yourself, how are they going to do it? I mean, the Harris government promised us all kinds of stuff. And they had the common sense revolution. I mean, they laid out a program. If you didn't like it, you didn't have to vote for them. But if you thought it made sense, you could vote for them. And most Ontarians did. And he won a majority government as a result. Mind you, he didn't tell us he was going to download a lot of his costs onto municipal governments, but, you know, that's always, I guess, a few surprises, aren't there? 905-645-3221 at Star 9900. Caroline, you're on The Bill Kelly Show. Welcome to the program.
4: Oh, good morning. Hi. <laughs> did,
1: did you watch the debate last night?
4: No, I didn't. I don't even bother anymore. Why not? Uh, because they're all bad. <laughs> they're all going to just destroy this province. Each time one gets elected... Um. They make a mess of the province, and uh, they put us further into that than we already are. Look at look at what Win has done, and because of the disaster that she's created for this province, um, everyone's going to swing on. The pendulum is going to swing on over to Ford, and Ford will make a mess. And it just that's the way it works. Everyone just sees what the previous administration did, and then we all say we all go go over to the other side and say. Okay, well, maybe there's some hope, and that's we have always a false hope.
2: Well,
1: it, but politicians tend to do that a lot, anyway, don't they, Caroline? Uh, you know, they spend an awful lot of time telling us how the previous government, or in this case, the current government, has screwed things up. We kind of know that already, which which is why there's a mood for change in this province. And and you know, the question I think we're asking of all three of them really is, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to make it better? And and I didn't get any clear answers. I got a lot of platitudes. You know, I'm going to change wait times. I'm going to reduce wait times. There isn't anybody that's run for public office in the last 20 years in Canada that hasn't promised to reduce wait times, and they haven't done it yet. So if right. Mr. Ford has a plan, good. I'm glad to hear that he does. But tell me what it is.
4: Exactly. And what about insurance? Nobody nobody ever wants to touch they that. Didn't, yeah,
1: that was interesting. They, they never touched on auto insurance, did they?
4: No, I just only heard the little snippets uh, from the news. Uh, because I just thought, I'm not even going to bother wasting my time listening to these three hawks, these talking heads.
1: Well, who are you, you going to vote? Slithering. Are, are you no. gonna, you're not going to no. vote?
4: No, I, I haven't voted for years, because they they just all do the same thing. They destroy, destroy, destroy. they just put us further into debt, and then our grandchildren have to pay for what they did. And I would like for some kind of law to be put in place where the politicians are held accountable. Because when you, you know, if you sign a a, a check, if you, you can't just have this exorbitant amount of money to play around with and not go to jail. You can't run up your credit card and then say, oh, I'm gonna, I'm going to, uh, bankrupt. I'm gonna fall for bankruptcy. The uh, credit companies won't let you do that. So, how come Kathleen Wynne isn't put in jail? Well, I, I,
1: I'm, gonna, I'm not defending Kathleen Wynne, but I'm going I'm to take exception with your attitude about uh, po- throwing politicians in jail. If politicians break the law, yeah, they should be entitled and, and, and should be under the same premise of the law that you and I are. But you don't throw politicians in jail for making bad decisions, all right? You just don't do that. I get really tired of that rhetoric that's been going on for the last couple of elections in the states and in here, for that matter. Toss her in jail. Toss him in jail. If they've broken a campaign law, if they've broken some sort of a law, yeah, by all means, prosecute them. But if you don't agree with their policies, you don't toss them in jail. Let's get over that, could we please? That that's This is the politics of division, and it's not right. 905-645-3221, star 9900. I'm, I'm glad you called, Caroline, and I'm glad you ex- were able to express your frustration. But I'm a little disappointed that you aren't voting, and haven't voted because if you're upset with the situation, you're just going to stand on the sidelines and watch everybody else mess this thing up. Then you know what's. What are you doing about it? Instead of wringing your hands, do something about it. Find a candidate that you support. It may be the lesser of two or three evils, but you've got to find somebody and get involved in the process. Uh, quick emails. I got a bunch of emails here. Try to get a few of these here. Phil says uh, with Kathleen Wynne and Doug Ford went at each, going at each other. Andrea Horvath struck to, stuck to her platform and didn't resort to name-calling, and thus I think she turned out to be the winner last night. Phil, thanks so much for the email on that. Uh, back to your calls, 645-3221 and star 9900. Hi, Dave. How are you doing this morning?
5: Good, thanks. Uh, um, I'm just uh, making a point about saving the four cents on the dollar. Yeah. Um, I think with the corruption that the wind government's uh, done with everything from these green space deals to the developers to the wind turbines to all this money that on their uh, what do you call them that are going to the lobbyists that they're handing out our tax dollars i don't think it'd be a problem whatsoever to you could probably save 20 cents on the dollar i think it'll be easy they've blown more of our money than what 360 billion in debt that's disgusting.
1: Yeah. Okay. I get your point, and I, I understand, and I share your frustration. But that's money that's out the door. What are they going to do to save money now? What's What's he going to do?
5: Quit making any more of these deals and handing out more of our money. Okay. I think it'll be easy.
1: You You're missing the point here. Cutting no, no, just... Cutting save Cutting money out of the budget means you've got to reduce something.
5: Yeah. Um. I guarantee you they they can work out and stop some like with uh, with all these wind turbines, work out and cut some of these deals, and uh, I think it's just disgusting are you
1: are you in business Dave Yes, all right if you're in business and you sign a contract with somebody and you go back to them a couple of years later and said I'm going to tear this contract up you do realize that there are consequences financial consequences to that
5: yeah, but there are some of these programs that they they can easily uh turn and save four cents on the
1: dollar. I, I, I Listen, I, I, right. I, 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 well, I hope he's right. But I all I'm saying is, show me. Show me the, 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 how he's going to do this. And well, he hasn't done this. He has yet to give us any details about any of this stuff. He talks in platitudes, and that's what bugs me about him. I want to know what he's going to do. I want to know what Andrew Horvath's going to do. I want to know what Kathleen Wynn's going to do. I want to see platforms, I want to see details. You know a couple of weeks ago we had the, the Auditor General, Bonnie Lissick, tear apart the Ontario budget that Kathleen Wynne's government presented. And justifiably so, there were so many mathematical inaccuracies and crazy ideas and, and, and conjecture about this that it deserved that sort of critique and that sort of criticism. So why aren't the other two doing it? Are they afraid that people are going to analyze it and decide that it's not worthwhile and that it can't be done? Listen, I don't care if you're supporting Doug Ford. I don't care if you're supporting Andrea Horvath. I don't care if you're supporting Kathleen Wynne, Mike Schreiner, anybody. I don't care. It matters not to me. I just want good government. But God help us if we elect somebody and simply say, here's a blank check. I don't care how much you spend. You never did tell us, but we believe in you and we have faith in you. We're not that naive, are we? Haven't you been burned enough in the past by just uh, all of these governments at one time or another? All I'm asking is for accountability. Show me your plan. Show me the numbers. You're going to save $6 billion? Show me what you're going to do. Tim Hudak was honest about it. Obviously, we rejected that idea about letting all those faithful servants go. It didn't articulate the job or the idea very well, but we turned it down. The NDP have been honest about this. They say they want to buy back the hydro shares. <laughs> I think that's going to be crazy. I think it's going to cost way too much money. But you and I will have that decision on June 7th as to whether or not we want to do this. Doug Ford says he's going to reduce wait times in hospitals. Really? How? Please tell me how. That's all I'm asking. I'm, I'm being skeptical of all of them. I'm not saying he can't do it. I said if he's got a plan that nobody's thought of before, great. Tell me what it is. And if you're going to save money, tell me where you're going to find the efficiencies. It's not that difficult. 645 start 9900 Hey, Al, how you doing today?
0: I'm not doing too bad. Bill, you talk like an ex-politician who don't want his... Background dug up.
1: Let's get to the background. Wait, wait whoa, some, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, 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 wait a second. Don't yeah, be yeah. so, don't be so pompous, okay? I'm a taxpayer just like you, and if you're going to let somebody get a free ride simply because you're so tied to the previous government, you don't know what you're doing because you don't understand what the ramifications are.
0: I've been in business too. Let's go into the background behind those contracts. Let's see how much money came out of the people that got those contracts and went to the local Liberal writings who went to the the, the mid Liberal Party and the federal Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. Let's go into the background of that. Let's look at that.
1: Okay. All right.
0: Those weren't decisions made for the benefit of the people. They were made there are a lot of the decisions that were made for the benefit of the party or the
1: local writing. I get that. And listen, that's and that's what I said. And look at I we got hoodwinked by the Green Energy Plan. We didn't know what they were going to do until they got in office and they signed all these contracts. And I'm as ticked off about it as you are. But all I'm asking is if Doug Ford says he's gonna fix it, tell me how he's gonna do it. Yeah. Is he gonna rip up contracts? At what cost? Uh, you know, <laughs>
0: You don't need to rip
1: up the contract. You can just
0: go in and you can renegotiate anything. No, you
1: can't. Not a, it takes two sides to renegotiate. Al come on, don't don't be so naive about this. You know as well as I do. You want to see this happen. So do I. But tell me it how will. you're gonna do it.
0: It will. Because Believe I tell you something,
1: look at Mike Harris sold off the four oh seven. All right? And and he signed this ironclad contract with this this foreign consortium that, to buy this whole thing. And And the next government came in and they said, we're going to get rid of we're gonna it we're going to bribe back. you couldn't the contract contract was ironclad. I don't even know what these contracts are like.
0: You really think McGinty tried very hard Sure. why wouldn't he he didn't
1: why wouldn't he the money doesn't go to him Of course he'd try I'm sure he did he didn't. But anyway, uh, you know, aside, yeah, listen, that, Al, you know what? You are so, so colored by your by your, your, your hatred for the, the government, and I get that. I understand that. But let's not put blinders on here. That's all I'm I saying. I don't
0: have blinders on. I know you, you, there's only one choice. The other two are off the table for me.
1: Okay, I get that. I get that.
0: But, I know I'll get more of the exact same but, thing I've had for the last 15 years from either one of the other two. And listen, don't get me wrong. I like Andrea very much as a person. I know her.
1: Yeah, I do too. But you know, I, I don't think I don't know if she's going to get the votes. I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I don't think I'm wrong in asking for details from any politician. I'm going to put it. the I'm going to do the same level of scrutiny Al in the municipal election as I'm doing for this one. As and I will do in the next provincial and federal elections. I want to know what you're going to do. I'm sick and tired of getting the sun, the moon, and the stars promised to us, and then they get in office, and all of a sudden it's, well, we can't do that. We're not going to do that. Well, I'm going to do this instead. And I understand where your support is. I get that. And you'd be just as ardent a supporter of the conservatives, I'm sure, if Christine Elliott had won that. I get that. All I'm asking for are details. I don't think that's too much to ask. Matter of fact, I know it's not too much to ask. Frank, you're going to get the last word. i got about a minute and a half here. Go ahead.
6: Hi, Bill. You know, I, let me say that um, you you are echoing pretty much the, the, the want and the um, frustration about everybody who's going to vote. You're so right. We want to hear what's going to happen. Now, the, the problem now is the, the, the former government puts us in such a fix to a point where the, the uh, succeeding government, which is different, Uh, has always has a mess and you know they can they make viable promises until they see what's going on so maybe this there's a we we all know what the highlights are you might want to say it's hydro you might want to say general cost of living but but, by the same token we have to have somebody put their finger on the on the nerve and say look at this is where we are now this is where we once were now you mentioned the 407 that that was a catastrophe why would we ever sign a, a on a political contract which is voted in by the people, a a, uh, a contract that's irrevocable for for a length of time beyond their term, you know there there are things like that 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 irritate us all. They, exactly, they, walk out, they do things. They didn't even say that before they went to. A, in, well, that, in, that's uh, the
1: point, Frank. I got to jump yeah, in here because sure. we're just about out of time. Got to get the news on, uh, but that's the point. And and I'm not berating Mike Harris. I'm saying it's typical of what we hear from an awful lot of politicians. Mike Harris had his little booklet, The Common Sense Revolution, and if you still got a copy of it in the bottom desk drawer. You can go through it again. There was nothing in that about selling off the 407, yet that's what he did when he got in office. You see, That's all I'm saying. And boy, there's a long list of things that McGinney and Wynn have done in the same context. So what we want to do is, if you don't have the details, you can't hold them accountable. Think about it, people. They have a responsibility to be transparent and open to us. And I'm not getting a whole lot of that yet. You're listening to The
0: Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.
1: Representation uh, from Canada, the U.S., and Mexico have begun what they call intense meetings yesterday for what could be a multi-day round of discussions and negotiations, hoping to secure agreement for NAFTA. Now, the sand is running out of the hourglass here for a whole lot of reasons. Marvin Ryder here in studio to talk to us about this. Uh, of course, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Thanks for coming in today, by the way. Glad to be here, Bill. Uh, just watching some of the clips on the newscast this morning, uh, it kind of sounds like these guys feel as if
7: they're under pressure to come up with something sooner than later now. So let me take you back a little bit. In In uh, early March, we were going to do the eighth round of NAFTA negotiations in Washington, and they got canceled. And instead, at that time, Mr. Lighthizer, who's the representative, said, we'll, we'll have some intense discussions, and we're going to wrap this all up by the end of April. And Mr. Trump, you might remember in March... Uh, Decide he'd put uh, tariffs on steel and Mm -hmm. aluminum, but, oh, I'll make an exception for Canada and Mexico because you're talking NAFTA. We'll give you till the end of April to wrap it up. Well, last Monday was the end of April, and we didn't have a NAFTA deal, so Mr. Trump came out of of hibernation and said, okay, okay, I'm going to give you a one-time extension of 31 days. You've got to have a deal by June 1st, or Canada and Mexico, you're going to have tariffs put on you. Well canada and mexico have been listening to these kinds of threats for the better part of eight months and and we are we've been from the beginning intensely negotiating a NAFTA 2.0, I don't think Canada and Mexico are being swayed to suddenly make a deal fast or else, but that's kind of the pressure that's on them now. Mr. Lighthizer last week was in China doing some trade work there. You might remember Mr. Trump's tariffs in China led Mm -hmm. to a reciprocal trade war going on there, so he had some important stuff to do. He now has a two-week opening (laughs) in his schedule that started yesterday, so we got two weeks of intense negotiations. The hope remains that by the end of this month, we'll have a NAFTA 2.0. Why? Because on July 1st, we have the Mexican national presidential election, and they want all negotiations to cease in June and July as they run up to that. uh, The United States has a midterm election in the fall, so if we can't get a deal by the end of this month, then we're probably going to have to put it in hibernation. I've said for some time, I think there are really two outcomes of these talks. One is, yes, maybe we'll get NAFTA 2.0. We'll get the whole darn deal done. The other possibility is that, and I know this for a fact, that there have been 26 negotiating teams, and 23 of them are done. So we have 23 26 of a deal at this point. Maybe what we'll wind up doing is signing NAFTA 1.8 with an agreement to come back in eight or nine months and finish the last two or three. I think those are both possibilities. But the wild card is the third possibility that if Mr. Trump can't get a whole deal, then he'll rip up the existing deal and we'll go back to these tariffs and quotas and God knows what else he wants to. And that's something I don't think we can we can handle. We can't control Mr. Trump. We're going to do what we can do. Okay, but I, I guess we don't know, I guess, all the details
1: about what's happened so far. But of those deals that apparently have been wrapped up, and are, do they matter? I mean, because <laughs> I, I, I'm not – of course everything matters. I understand <laughs> it. But in the larger context, Marvin – uh, let's face it, it has been dispute resolution. It's been, uh, yep. uh, it's, it's, there are two or three issues. Auto sector obviously yep. is one of the other ones and supply management. Those seem to be the deal breakers. And yep. I'm going to guess not, that they're, they're not included in that they're stuff. They're not included. Hey, that. we've
7: done that. We're okay there. Yeah. So there's four of them that remain sticky out there. You mentioned the first one, the auto sector. Having said that, the auto sector is the one where I think we've made the most, um, uh, uh, maybe change to the American position. The American position was an initially that 85% of automobiles made in North America should have North American content, and I think many people would cheer that, but of that 85%, 50% had to be strictly American content. So Canada and Mexico put on the table that says, well, you shouldn't just count the specific parts that go into making a car. Think about all the R&D. That's all done in the United States. No one's getting any credit for that. And, and I actually think there's a lot of clever proposals that we can put that one to bed. The second one was the duration of the agreement, that it was to be just a five-year agreement and we'll all come back together in five years and do this all over again. Canada and (laughs) Mexico said, no, we're not going to go through this much effort every five years. So they've put forward a proposal, and I think it will succeed, that says uh, what we'll do is we'll sign an agreement. It won't have an end date, but every five years we'll get together and review it, and we'll meet and talk about it. And I think that's probably a good thing. I don't think we probably did enough of that with the old NAFTA. The third part of it is the dispute resolution, and in the first NAFTA signed 23 years ago, that's the one that was negotiated up to within 24 hours of the signing of the darn thing. Uh, today's proposal from the United States is that uh, they get to resolve all the disputes themselves, <laughs> and we say, no, we're not very keen on that. The Yes, that's a tough nut. And the last of the four is supply management in our, in our agricultural sectors. Um, again, I'm hopeful on that one, in part because Canada had to relax some supply management to get the deal with the European Union. It had to relax some of the supply management to get the deal with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Therefore, I think we probably got a way that we can relax it a bit. We're probably not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I think we can solve uh, many of these. The part that remains the hardest and will will not be done by the end of this month, I'll just go out on a limb and say that now, is that dispute resolution, and yet it's one of the most important parts of it. No point having an agreement if you can't monitor it. The,
1: the supply management thing is, a, is something that bugs me, and I, I, I know I've heard from a lot of people in the agriculture industry that you know says you know well you know they're going to throw us under the bus uh, but they've already done this they have relented already why are they being so adamant about it with NAFTA
7: well, I think the whole idea in the negotiation bill, and, and, and you know, I know you've negotiated things like a house price, what have you, you don't give Not something. Not very well, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't give up something if you don't get something in return. And so I think Canada is prepared to compromise, but rather than put the compromise on the table right at the beginning, we're going to do it in the context of you give me something, I'll get something back from you. And I think that's what's going to take in these next two weeks. But I think we're close. That's that's why it is possible. But, again, the ball is really in America's court because they've staked out some positions that neither Canada nor Mexico can live with. Unless they are willing to soften those in some ways, I don't think we can get a deal. Uh, i I got to love the analogy.
1: Christy Freeland, who, of course, is the lead negotiator for the, for the Canadian side on this thing, uh, speaking to uh, the media just a, a little while ago, earlier this morning, uh, and she likened the NAFTA negotiations to her giving birth to her children, <laughs> and said every contraction is actually a positive sign. Uh, I don't know how many, how <laughs> I don't know how frequent the contractions are coming right now, but there seems to be a positive uh, vibe that's going on with, especially with her and the American side. Anyway.
7: Well and I think even with the Mexicans too Canada and Mexico uh, Mexico was always worried that Canada would throw them under the bus to get a deal and instead we've stood side by side with our allies both Canada excuse me both Mexico and the United States. Um Chrystia Freeland's cleared her calendar for the next 2 weeks. She was supposed to be going to I think it was Brussels for a NATO discussion and she she said we'll send somebody else. I'm making this my top priority. I, again, I have to give her credit, you know, we, we throw up her names like Uh, Bill Morneau or Christian Freeland around, but these are people elected from a community to be an MP. They get appointed to cabinet, and suddenly, I'm sure nowhere in her life did she ever plan on eight months of intense negotiation on a NAFTA 2.0, but the opportunity comes, you clear your calendar, and you do the best you can. Um, She's... I give her great credit. Remember, she's, she's an MP, low, elected from some area, and she's standing toe-to-toe with Robert Lighthizer. This is what his job has been for the better part of 25 years. He's very, very experienced. christian has been learning on the job, but she's been doing a great job so far. I, I have nothing bad to say about her performance. Well, she's been under the radar. I, I mean,
1: I, I P, liberal insiders will tell you, well, she was a star candidate. And people said, oh, really? What's her name? Uh, <laughs> but, because she'd earned a lot of her reputation, of course, in the States, in financial circles and business circles down there. So she's she's not totally oblivious to what needs to happen here. No. Nope. But she's never played it at this level before. And and I, I agree. I think she's done a pretty decent job so
7: far. And and potentially, you know, down the road, not to get too far off track, uh, some people are saying that she could be the next just of those qualities that are needed as a leader. And and I but I I like her approach. She talks tough in public. She's not making concessions in public. That's exactly the right thing to do. Behind closed doors, if she's going to give something up, she wants something back in return. I I think Mr. Lighthizer uh, uh, had a real shock to his nervous system. I. I Maybe I'm reading too much into this with the uh, with the uh, Trump administration, but I think they thought they could push her over, uh, kind of bully her into a corner, and I, I think she stood stood toe to toe with the big boys. Well, let's face it: uh, the, some of the folks in the Trudeau cabinet over the last couple of years have
1: had uh, uh, ups and downs, shall we mm-hmm. say, in their career. Some of them haven't even survived that. Bill Morneau, who you mentioned, comes to mind right off the bat. Uh, but she's been pretty consistent, and and this was obviously
7: the big file for her it is and i think another reason why we'd like to bring this to a conclusion bill is that for the last eight months and this this is another argument that donald trump makes that there's uncertainty in the marketplace out there do i invest in canada do i invest in mexico gosh if i don't know what's going on with nafta maybe i'm going to wait uh and so in his mind i don't need nafta i'm just causing great uncertainty i'm hurting your economy by you not signing I'm not sure that's true. Remember, last Friday we saw a big vote of confidence in the Canadian economy with Toyota. Yeah, uh, Kathleen Wynne, Justin Trudeau were there. It's a multi-billion-dollar investment. I don't think that's necessarily true, but certainly for a lot of mid-sized companies out there, they would like to know for certain, am I facing tariffs, am I going to have to do something differently, let me know the rules, I hate uncertainty. So I think there's a, that's why I'm saying if you can't get a whole deal, get two-thirds, three-quarters, 80% of a deal, sign that, at least we can bring certainty to many people, even if we have to leave some of them still in doubt. But what about some of the uh, impacts on the local economy,
1: and you and I have talked about the steel industry. Especially Stelco, yep. uh, the story yesterday, early, earlier this week that uh, that you and I discussed that uh, profits are up and they're pretty excited about that. Uh, but they're looking to what's going on with NAFTA. I've talked to Tony Valeri and Arsenio DeFasco a couple of weeks ago. They're very concerned about the impact the tariffs would have. I mean, that's a company that seems to be in pretty good shape right now, mm-hmm. but this could be crippling to an industry, and and, uh, and obviously by extension, be crippling to this community.
7: Yeah, well, crippling, or you you then have to get kind of clever on how is there any ways you can work around this. Yeah. You might remember a few years ago when Mr. Obama had a a big infrastructure package, uh, U.S. Steel was able to take – Hamilton made steel, but bring it to a plant in the United States, do a little processing, and suddenly became American steel. In the case of Stelco, uh, the new Stelco, uh, head office is in New York City, and I'm sure Mr. Kestenbaum would wave the American flag if necessary. DeFasco does have, uh, or th- excuse me, through Arsler Middle, DeFasco has access to some American plants, and they may f- say, if I can't ship it directly without a duty, maybe there's a way I can ship it from one plant to another and do something there. But again, they want to know what the rules are. And, and in Business and I know many people get upset about businesses I hear you people say well they're taking advantage of loopholes but they're trying to understand the system they spend a lot of time and energy understanding the system and a NAFTA 2.0 is a major change to the economic system the sooner we can know how it's going to impact us the better and with Trump you know it it does seem at times he just wakes up and comes out with another idea these tariffs came out of nowhere apparently he's uh, about to launch a second round of tariffs again China, but we don't know what they are. Those tariffs might actually create advantages for Canadian businesses to shell, sell in the United States, because China may l- slap something on American businesses. All of these things have an ebb and flow, and the more we can know for certain, the better things are.
1: We haven't heard much about the telecommunications aspect of this. You know, that hasn't seemed to be one of the hot-bite nights, no. uh, but, but it's clearly it's got to be something that, that that's going to be front and center at some point, because we, we know that Verizon is looking at Canada right now and said, we'd love to be up there. Uh, There are a lot of consumers here, myself included, that would love to see some competition
7: here. Well, from what I understand, one of the one of the groups that are done is in the telecommunications sector, and they I can't tell you what they found because they haven't published it. They can't publish it until either the whole deal is ratified or something to that effect. But apparently, they have talked about it and they have found some ways to soften some rules, allow American companies in here. One that might benefit the ordinary person too, that I think is prepared to compromise on. Right now, Bill, if you buy something, let's say from Amazon in the United States and have it come to Canada, if it's under twenty dollars, it enters the country duty free. If it's more than twenty dollars, you are supposed to pay a duty on it. Now not the post office doesn't always collect all those duties, but when they do, they slap on a five or ten for gathering those duties. Mm-hmm. In the United States, if they bring buy something in Canada and bring in the United States, they can bring in eight hundred dollars no duty on it whatsoever. So there's pressure on Canada to be a little more open. I think a lot of us would love that if they took the limit up to 100 bucks or $150 bucks, uh, just for day-to-day purchases. So there's, there's a bunch of this going on, but I think it's an ebb and flow. I'll give you a little something. You give me something back. Do you really, really want that? Then you'd better give me something over here. And that's what negotiations are all about. But am I holding out hope against hope here that, uh, that they're going to open up this market to a place
1: a company like Verizon? No, I don't think you're hoping
7: against hope. I, I imagine for Verizon to come in, what we'll probably say is you need to either uh, find a, a Canadian partner or establish a Canadian subsidiary. We don't want you running it all from the United States. Uh, the telecommunications isn't too important to us. We actually view telecommunications as one of our, our strengths. We're a small country population-wise, but a big country from a geographic standpoint. And to have a communications infrastructure that can span all that, that's a technology we can sell. But I, I think you will see Verizon in Canada within the next two or three years and in a much easier way than it was in the past. But still they'll probably have a couple of strings attached. We, we just don't necessarily want to throw open the doors completely on that front. What's it going
1: to do to cross-border situations and, and Amazon comes to mind mm-hmm. obviously. I mean uh, we're waiting what they're going to do with the, the you know the the headquarters uh, relocation but I mean they've already made a huge investment into Vancouver. Now I know they were already there mm-hmm. but does that, is that indicative of
7: what may actually be happening here so i 'll be candid about it bill I, I I think one of the reasons why you have not heard from Amazon now this is May. you might remember there was this big contest in the fall, and then it seemed like once they gave the list of twenty we 'll have an announcement in the first quarter of 2018. well, now we 're in the second quarter, still no news. I would not be surprised if Mr. Bezos is waiting for NAFTA to sort out can i can I come to Canada? Is there going to be penalties coming to Canada, or can I go? not to Mexico, but can I go to other parts of the United States? What penalties might there be? I think this d- does talk about the kind of investment there. So an uh, Amazon, I-, I think they would still be very interested in coming to Canada unless NAFTA makes it too restrictive, and then we could be out the door in a heartbeat. Uh, quick email here. It says,
1: most of my friends shop online and have post office boxes just across the border. Uh, to pick up their Amazon purchase and right. pay duty when they are crossing back. So that's, that's I guess, their side door around this. That would
7: obviously not be necessary if they were to relax some of those restrictions. Absolutely, and and God bless the person for saying that they declare it when they cross the border and pay the duty. Lots of people put it in well, their everybody trunk. everybody does that, don't they? And everybody does it. Put it in the trunk. I don't have anything to declare at all. Bill, you might remember a couple years ago we did raise the amount that you could bring back in the United yeah. States for 24 hours, 48 in a week. Uh, and, and statistics show that the amount we brought back Went up. And people said to me, haha, you see what we're doing is helping Canadians do cross border shopping. and I said, that, or we're helping Canadians lie less. Because I think before people, <laughs> oh, I, oh, I only got $20 worth of stuff in the trunk. Now that you could bring back 200 yeah, I got $200 worth of stuff in the trunk. I don't necessarily sure they brought any more. They could just be more honest about it. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Always a
1: pleasure. Thanks for being here today. Glad to be here.
0: The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.